Yo, and just like that, we made it to 50 episodes, y'all. 50. Now, for some people, that might seem like a small number. Because when you think about it, there are podcasts out there that have a thousand episodes. So what is 50 in comparison, right? But for us, 50 is not just a number. It represents 50 dope, talented, creative, inspiring black photographers who were able to share their journey and experience with the rest of the world. That means every episode counts. We just continue to do the work and spotlight different aspects of black photography with the hope and belief that we will reach the people who are looking for this information. The Black Shutter Podcast was created as a response to a lack of information on black photographers. Since starting this podcast, I've discovered so many legends of black photography. I mean, I always knew that they existed, but the information wasn't offered in a way that felt accessible. If you can't see it, it's hard to be it. These words have resonated with me since the very first time I heard them. So I wanted to create a space that made the discovery of black photographers super accessible, relatable, and inspirational. As a self-educated photographer, personally, my path to learning has always been unorthodox. I take classes, I read books, I look at photos, I tune into discussions, I scroll on Instagram, but as the host of this podcast, I'm fortunate enough to have learned from the stories of 50 different black photographers so far. Photographers from all over the U.S., New York, L.A., Houston, Miami, Chicago, North Carolina, photographers in Canada, Photographers across the Caribbean, London, France, Ghana. The pandemic has been many things to many people. Some good, some not so good. For us, the pandemic forced us to pivot in a way that led to global opportunities to share more stories. As we prepare to air episode 50, we just want to thank our guests for donating their time and their stories. We want to thank everyone who has tuned in, who continues to tune in, shared, liked, rated, reviewed, or suggested the podcast to a friend. Yo, we appreciate y'all for real. Enjoy this episode. Peace. And I love bringing out the beauty of the real people. Because for me, uh, how I see out of my eyes every day, even when I'm not shooting, I literally see people at their best. I see everybody's beauty. And so for me, it's the challenge of bringing that blessing that God has given me to, you know, to light. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work 
their challenges and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Fashion photography is a genre of photography that focuses on showcasing the beauty of clothing and apparel. A lot of time, energy, detail, and money is invested into creating a beautiful and unique image. Everybody's job is important on the set of a fashion client. And while our guest today has around 30 years of experience photographing models and actors, he likes to consider himself a portrait photographer who happens to do fashion. He is driven to bring out the natural beauty in real people. He considers it a God-given gift, and it is his honor to see people at their best. This is a skill that lends itself well to portrait photography. He has photographed A-list clients for Sony, Essence, Cosmopolitan, and he has photographed celebrities such as Kevin Hart, Tessa Thompson, Samuel L. Jackson, Jennifer Hudson, Tiffany Haddish, and Usher. He is the photo editor for Ebony Magazine. Keith Major, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. Things have been lovely. Indeed, indeed, man. Yo, Keith, thank you for, you know, taking the time to, uh, to uh, you know, chop it up with us, man. How you, how you been? I've been good. I've been uh, busier than I think I've ever been, um, which is a good thing. You know, it reminds me of one of my busiest periods around like 98, 99. And, um, but, but it's, it seems like more busy than that. Oh, wow. I hope it's a very lucrative busy. It is, man. I mean, like I just in June, I actually took a job, which I haven't had since what, 95, like a, a nine to five where, um, I'm a photo director of ebony.com. Oh, wow. Um, but I mean, you know, in the 21st century, nine to fives are remote and flexible. And so, um, you know, it's not, it's not the same thing as checking into an office and the rigidity of, uh, the day-to-day clock punching. It's more fluid. Um, of course it does mean that there are times where I'm doing, you know, evenings and weekends, but it's all good. I mean, I've done that anyway, so. Wow, man. So you, how long have you been a freelancer, like an independent photographer? Um, I said 95, but I think actually it's 98. Yeah. So from 98 until June, 2021, I'm not going to do the math real quick. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) but from 98 to June, 2021, you've been independent and now you are the photo director of Ebony. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it's interesting because, before 98, I for several years, I did have a job at a photo studio. However, the um, relationship that I had with them is I had my freelance career. Um, and if something was big enough, I could just take time off and go shoot it. And so it feels like it's been even longer than 98. But, at, but you know, in 98, it was like, OK, I can't, you know, show up for the other gig at all. So I've got to go full tilt Keith Major photography. 
Nice, nice. So how did, you know, and that's the blessing, right? That's the, um, you know that, you know, like with art, a lot of art starts off as a hobby, right? It starts off, we're in our house, our parents' crib, and we, we enjoy doing this thing. It's not making us any money in the beginning because we, 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 we're terrible in the beginning, right? Like it takes a, it yeah. takes a while <laughs> to, to, it to does. get good. It takes us such a while, man, especially photography. You know, I read something years ago. Uh, most most photographers start out bad. It just takes time to get better at it. Yeah, we just got to get to. We got to get rid of as many bad photos that are in our head as possible. And you know, <laughs> you know, just get it out. Just get it out. Um, you know, but <laughs> you know, we're still gonna we're still gonna take a lot of bad photos. I think we're always gonna take bad photos. It's the, you know, but it's on the the path to taking great photos, right? Yeah, I mean, there's always that reset. Um, and I believe if, if you're on the path to elevating, you're always checking yourself and feeling like, um, I could get better or I'd like to do better. Mm-hmm. Even after, you know, even when you're accomplished, you're still feeling like, you know, there's more out there. There's more growth. Yeah. There's this. So as you're saying that and, and ride with me, I'm trying to break it down in a, in a simple way, but it's almost as if, you know, in the present moment, when we're making, when we're creating something, once we, especially with photography, is so instant because it's with the the shutter, right? The shutter is such a quick, you know, transaction of of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like when we look back at our work a week ago, a year ago, ten years, twenty years ago, we may always look back at it like, "Wow, I would probably do this differently," right? So even in the moment when we're taking pictures, we know that. This this might feel good right now, but dang, I think that it could still be better, even in the moment of us making images. You know what I mean? Yeah, and one of the things that I had to learn in in the professional space is, you know, sometimes you have to make a choice and move forward because you can get stuck in trying to make it better, and you may incur, you know, overtime or just run out of time because you know, on a gig, there are time constraints, mm-hmm. you know, if you're shooting a celebrity, you have only so much time, um, you know, or whatever the job may be, there is a cutoff, you know, and it's, it's not really the place always for experimentation and, and trying to, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel as it were, you know, cause sometimes that's what it feels like. It feels like you're trying to really break out into some new area, um, on the clock, and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, for me, so what my process has been that I'll tend to still shoot things that are not um, based in, you know, art and commerce for, per se. And I'll just shoot my own things on my own time. And that's the space where I play and experiment and do things. Um, and it helps because, A, I get that sort of juice flowing and, and – um, the other part of that is I don't show up for work um, needing to get my creative ideas out. I've already done that. And so I can show up and do what's necessary for the assignment at hand or for the subject at hand. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a difference. Uh, you use your personal time, your personal projects for experimentation. You break a lot of things. You make a lot of mistakes. You get that muscle memory going. And then when you show up to set, is it's time for decision making, right? Um, exactly. And so many. I mean, I have a 
in the previous life, in the earlier, you know, version of my life, I was, uh, you know, I worked in advertising. I worked as a, um, I worked as a graphic designer, and mm-hmm. there were times when I would stay late after work in my office, not working on, um, you know, company work, but just doing personal work. It was almost as a way of flushing out, flushing my brain from all of the client-based work that I needed to do so that I can yeah. just put my own thoughts and imagination into action. And I think it's necessary. Absolutely. absolutely. I think it's healthy um, because, you know, you might go postal <laughs> you yeah. know, if, you, if, you, if it's always about the assignment because I'm sure you've experienced it. Um, there are two things that happen. One is that they may not see things the way you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other part that becomes unfortunately very common is that they're not actually as versed in it as you. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, you're a graphic designer. I'm not. And I may want something or ask for something. And that may be counter to what's probably in my best interest for graphic design, but because I don't, you know, and then it depends on the personality, because if you're a boss personality, that's sort of like, it's my way or the highway, you might be pushing the creative that you're hiring into, you know, work that isn't actually the best that they can do, mm-hmm. you know, because you're coming from a place of inexperience, but you're the boss. And so you're like, I want it this way. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. And that exists um, on set in photography man, as well. Clients. Yeah, over man. It shoulder. exists. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, you've got publicists uh, for celebrities that, you know, have their ideas. You have, CEOs who aren't uh, creative, you know, did not go to art school, do not understand, you know, aesthetics and aesthetic science and all that stuff. And and, and they're not doing it all day, every day for years, mm-hmm. but they're in, a, they're in a position to, you know, veto or rule on what's going to work. So. Yeah. so because of that, yeah, you have to, I believe, find that space where you can do your own thing. Now, there are some creative professionals that have been able to only do like there. I haven't been able to do that sort of thing. I don't have that muscle where it's like, look, I'm going to be very creative and either you take it or not. You know, I've 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 played the game differently in that I've tried to be a good professional and give you what you're asking. I mean, you also want to be someone who is um, easy and and joyful to work exactly with. You don't want to be an yeah asshole. exactly and there was a time where being an asshole was cool and like or the, people thought that the 80s, you know right? the cocaine 80s yeah the 80s yeah you know and it was like you know he's difficult but the work's amazing or she's yeah. difficult the work's amazing you know and then that sort of ran its course and for me it was never my personality because i as much as i love what i do and what i what i do matters I never felt like what I was doing was uh, that important that I needed to make your day miserable. I never felt like taking photographs was so important that I was bigger than, you know, the garbage man or, you know, the post. I just felt like I was a a guy, you know, doing a job with the gifts that I was given. Um, But I'm no better than anybody else. And so I just could never understand being on set and giving people a hard time. It just doesn't work like that for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where I disagree with things and I, you know, I'll voice my opinion, but for the most part, you know, I like my set to be, 
you know, comfortable and friendly because I know that we all want the same thing at the end of the day. We want a, a great day of great results. Yeah. And, you know, within photography, there's so many different styles and types of photography, right? You know, you got photojournalists, you got architectural yes. photographers, and you, you're sort of like in the portrait, fashion, commercial realm, yes. right? That's where I'm at. And, That's exactly where I sit. Yeah, and in the fashion world, there's so many personalities, man. Like, mm-hmm. not only from the photographers, you could get personalities from the, uh, from the, the models, from yeah. the, the client, from the, the hair makeup artist, right? Like, so many... Yeah, there's a lot of personalities and navigating yeah, how do you that. How do you juggle that, man? Like, if you you, you want to create, like, the, a cool vibe on set and you got, like, these big personalities coming on set, like, how do you juggle that? You know, a lot of it becomes experience because at first you have to grow through learning all of that. Um, and fortunately, I did what they call testing enough that I I sort of experienced all of that before it counted per se mm-hmm. so for instance like after work i might shoot a model with a new makeup artist or a stylist and so um you know back when i was much younger and so i had experienced the headstrong makeup artist or the stylist that wants to you know do what they want to do that has nothing to do with what what um <laughs> is you know with, with, with nothing to do with what's best for the particular client mm-hmm. and so I've learned how to navigate those situations. Sometimes it's not always, sometimes it's not always pretty. Um, um, I have this funny running joke where I've never had an unsuccessful shoot where I had a stylist in the corner sulking. Like that's, Mm. if you're in the corner sulking as a fashion stylist, um, I'm not going to be impressed because I've never failed when that's happened. Mm. Um, And I don't want to make that happen but I, you know, like for instance, I have this one story I always tell. Um, I was on set with a stylist, and we're photographing. And it's funny because fashion brings itself to areas where that aren't fashionable. But mm-hmm. you bring fashion to the arena. We were photographing a female pastor who was probably about I don't know, sixty-five, seventy. Okay. She's about five two, you know, maybe size eighteen. You know, older woman with some weight. And the stylist put her in a long gown with the back out. And so she walks out of the dressing room and I'm like, man, this is not working. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, show the back of the dress, show the back of the dress. And I'm like, I pull him aside and I go, listen, I'm like, A, she's a pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. They're not going to feel this. B, this does not look flattering on her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what, and what's happening here is you want to get your fashion thing off. And I get it. I'm like, but we need to put her in things that flatter her. And, you know, what I would do is, you know, you want to shoot this dress. Let's do this on another day on a 19 year old model at size four or five, 10, mm-hmm. because that's where it's going to make the most sense. But it took me years to kind of figure all of that part out, you know, or to tell a makeup artist what it is I'd like, or to tell a hairstylist what it is I'd like. Mm-hmm. It, that part takes time. But one of the things I do, I for me particularly, I like to I like to being called a portrait photographer who who does some fashion more than a fashion photographer. Okay. Um, I and it's just because I 
I find that that term fashion gets thrown around a lot. And I know that I don't shoot loads of editorial fashion. I can do it and I do do it, but I don't do it all the time. And also it's the mindset of uh, sometimes on a fashion set is that, you know, where God's gift to the planet and it's just some clothes, man. <laughs> you know, and I love them, you know, I love dressing and I love all the fashion and I love all that stuff, but I don't like it when, when we're in this place where we're more important than everyone else. Mm. So is it that, is it the, so what do you think the biggest distinction is between fashion and some of like your beauty portraits? Is it the, the fact that is um, who's in the image is like... Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think why I like the beauty portraits is it combines the element and style of fashion, mm-hmm. but it also, but you bring in the, the, the uh, art of portraiture. So beauty portraits are my favorite thing to do. You know, cosmetics and hair and things like that are actually my favorite things to do because... I get to exercise portrait muscles, but then also deal with style and fashion. Um, what, what makes it different for me, um, is, uh, well, things have changed a lot, but fashion generally, um, floated in the domain of the attractive, lean, attractive, lean people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, it also worked as sort of a formula because you want everybody to be able to fit the clothes. You can't fit everybody differently. And so, you know, six, one, six, two was the standard for guys and five, nine, five, 11 for girls, you know, and everybody's the same size. Uh, it just makes it efficient. Um, but what I like about portraiture is that I begin to do everybody else so that, you know, um, you're not going to, you may bring your fashion chops to photograph, let's say Kamala Harris, but you're going to photograph Kamala Harris in a way that best suits her. Mm-hmm. And she's not going to be, you know, five ten in size four, you yeah. know, she's going to be a real person. And I love bringing out the beauty of the real people because for me, uh, I, how I see out of my eyes every day, even when I'm not shooting, I literally see people at their best. I see everybody's beauty. And so for me, it's the challenge of bringing that blessing that God has given me to, you know, to light. That's interesting because, you know, I've, I've taught a few, you know, intro photography classes, nothing like crazy, but, you know, like to young people or to like departments in uh, companies where they send like their employees out to, with their phone to photograph stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the first things I, w- I would tell them is uh on the first day of classes don't take out any phone or camera like leave it all out and let's go for a walk and learn how to take photos without a camera take photos with your eye look around look at your surroundings look at your environment and imagine what you would take photos of if you had your camera with you and basically it's an exercise in learning how to see how to see the world how to you know, craft your own perspective. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's a good exercise. I I think so. I mean, I I made it up, but I I feel like that's how I see the world. And I I tell folks, like, I'm always taking pictures. Like, we'll be out having a drink, coffee, breakfast, whatever. And I'm telling them, like, yo, I'm taking pictures right now, but I just don't have my camera with me. Right. Yeah, that's the same muscle that I exercise. And it's, it's, I've always, so you probably feel the same way I do, where, 
the greatest photos that I've ever, that I've never taken or what I see out of my eyes. What I see out of my eyes has been grander than any photo that I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. I think it's because, you know, whether you believe, you know, you want to call it God, you want to call it spirit for me, whatever, it, whatever that thing is, it's so great, you know, and which is, which is funny because it comes down to one of the first lessons that um, I teach in my photo one class is one of the things you learn. One of the first things you learn when you first del- dive into photography is how amazing the eye is. Mm-hmm. Because photo science, you know, we've gotten better, but even still, the limitations of photo science compared to what the eye does is mm-hmm. amazing. The the gap is so huge. Yeah. It's it's like the lens is <laughs> the lens is designed to replicate how the eye works, but it will never right. work as good as the eye. Yeah, and, it's um, not even remotely close, man. It's amazing. Yeah, you know why the uh, the photo would never equate to what we see with our eyes is because when we when we experience something in a moment we're being present and we when we pick up the camera it's it's as a way to try to replicate that feeling we had in the present moment but we can never replicate what we felt in the present moment because there was like emotion attached to it the the yeah. photo was just like a it's a carbon copy of what we saw but it will never yeah. never ever replicate what we see in our in, in our eyes in our mind yeah so tell me, um, I know we we jumped right into like the where you are where you are professionally or currently as a photographer, but like, you know, where where did you come from? Like, where where what's your what was your environment? Start. Yeah, what's your environment growing yeah. up? Where were you, well, you from? It's funny because very early on, I was interested in in the arts, you know, and for me it was all of them. So it's like music painting, sculpture, dance, theater. I was always a kid who was just into all of that. You know, watching movies and marveling at the lighting and the composition. I was always that kid. And so, so much so that I can remember, at least I remember day one, or at least what seems like day one in school, and we did a finger painting. And I'm like, I want to be an artist when I grow up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and I don't, you know, and we're talking, you know, day one of kindergarten. And so fortunately, I had a mother who was an educator who knew how to find the programs that would help, you know, your interests. And uh, my father, you know, is deceased now. But when when he was here was I would describe him as, you know, somebody who was a dreamer and was willing to support your ideas, whatever they were. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I got lucky. And so. Um, at or around 12 years old, um, between my parents. And then I had some cousins that were in media. Um, I had a cousin who wrote for time, the timing corporation. And then his brother was a photographer for them. Um, and between, between them and my parents and some other cousins, I kind of was kind of had a trajectory mapped out where around 12, it was like, okay. I'm going to Pratt Institute on the weekends um, or in after school classes. And I did that and I did Brooklyn Museum, same thing. And um, planned to go to the High School of Art and Design, which I ended up going to. Then I went to the Rochester Institute of Technology. But I mean, I literally saw the first, my first college brochure at RIT at maybe at 14 years old and wow. was planning to go. So for me, it was 
it, I had been on this path a very, you know, a while Mm -hmm. and, um, without really wavering much, it's, it's been like, this is what I want to do. Um, and so it's just, I just been applying myself all these years and it's been a slow growth, you know, slow, steady growth upward. That's pretty dope, man. I remember, I I think very similarly to you, I've been in interested in like all the arts, you know, and I had a early experience, I think maybe first grade, we had computers in our school and I remember there was this, I don't, I don't remember what it was at all, but it was basically like if you pushed a number and you pushed a letter, the computer would create these graphics, these swirly type graphics right, yeah. and, and it will be a variation. So it was like, oh wow, if I press three X, it's going to do something. Then if I press seven B, it's going to do something completely different. And I was just like sitting there, like my mind was blown. And at that point, I, I, I told myself, when I grow up, I'm going to do art on a computer. That's, yeah, all the, that's the only wow. language I had to describe what I wanted to do. I didn't know it was called right. computer graphics, graphic design, anything like that. And uh-huh. that just stuck with me the whole time, you know, until, wow. I, until I found Photoshop in college. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for my whole <laughs> exactly. life. Yeah. My whole life. And I found it, you know. Yeah, it's funny because for me, um, you know, being having been born in 62, there, there weren't many computers around when I was younger. But I found I had a similar experience in that, you know, I used to draw and I was always frustrated by by my inability to be a the, the perfect draftsman. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally picked up the camera, it was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was gravitating to photographs even before I started shooting more than drawing. And so it was like, oh, this is really what what I've been looking for. That's an interesting story. Man. It's, it's great when you can um, follow that path and turn it into something tangible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just kind of stick, staying the course. I didn't, I, I can't say that I, I was doing art consistently. I mean, I was, my mom did her best to like give me the supplies, but my mom was also very supportive. She bought me a lot of books. Um, she bought me sketchbooks when she could, and when she couldn't, she would take um, Xerox paper from work and, and and get like a three three hole puncher and sort of like put it all together in like a trapper keeper or something like that. Wow! And then that would be my makeshift sketchbook. But I was just happy to have paper and and colored markers or colored pencils because that right there was enough for me to like right. be lost for a day drawing comic books and and coloring them and. You know, that was enough. That's a playground in itself. Just a blank piece of paper and a pencil, I get lost. Yeah. Wow, we we both were a bit lucky because a lot of a lot of folks don't get support in the arts. You know, they they expect you to quote unquote do something that's gonna make money. <laughs> I know. And uh, and the funny thing is we're in art and we're making money. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like don't let anybody, you know, uh, anybody else's limitations influence the direction that you want to go in. There's difference between somebody who's who may be given guidance and giving you you know giving you insight that might help you along your path, but sometimes it doesn't it may be our um, parents, it may be our closest friends, siblings, our partner that may not understand fully what it is that we're trying to do and they may be they think they're helping, but they may be, you know, pushing their 
limitations onto us. And that yeah. sometimes we have yeah. we have to guard our dreams. We have to guard our goals sometimes. Yeah, that's a very that's a very important thing. And and I think that um once one thing my mother said was that you know you ought to find employment in something that you enjoy because you spend a great deal of your life at work, sometimes more than your personal life. Um, and, you know, there are days where you don't even feel like doing what you love. So you, you'd be, you're better off getting close to what you love than having a, a, an occupation that you don't, you know, you dislike. It makes for a miserable life. So that's great, man. So it's not, So you had supportive parents and you had... You know, and your mom was dropping jewels. So yeah, yeah, you know, that's and, that's great. That's a great combination. Yeah, and then you know, listening makes a big difference because even further along, you know, where I, you know, we all go through our ups and downs, particularly in the, you know, when you're trying to make it in the arts. You know, there are times where it's not working out, and you you don't have any money, mm -hmm. and you're trying to get on. And uh, something an agent told me years ago, you know, when I was having one of those periods, he's like, "Look, remember that." You have to talk to other artists or, you know, people in your field. You can't, you can't have a down period as a photographer and talk to the accountant, because the accountant is going to try to convince you to get a, uh, a sensible job because mm -hmm. that's what he does. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to talk to another photographer who understands the ebbs and flows of, you know, trying to make it as as De La Soul said it, and trying to make a living in an art that pays. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, Absolutely. You need people who are in the trenches with you. Right. You know? You've got so you have to be careful who you're getting advice from, which goes back to what you were saying, you know. Because I actually had a meet once, um, you know, actually I was married, um, and one day uh my wife and her father sat me down and tried to talk me out of my career. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is not going to work. I guess this marriage is, is about to end here. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm looking at both of them. I'm like, don't y'all know who I am? Like, wow. I've been doing this since like a child. Like, this is not, this ain't no, you know. Yeah. I was very stubborn about it too. We, even at times where I struggled, it was like, it was never that I was going to stop. Mm -hmm. You know. I'm yeah, I, I'm right there with you, man. I'm, I'm very stubborn. Um, I'm I'm very stubborn, and um, even more so when it comes to going after something that is seemingly difficult, or what other people say, I can't do. You know, it's that classic, it's that classic um, situation where somebody says you can't do anything. So somebody says you can't do it, and mm -hmm. then you just use it as fuel to be like, as you know fuel, what? yeah, yeah. Watch when I pull up with that thing, <laughs> you know? I see that, brother, because we, we met at ICP, and at the time, I'm like, let me let me get some video. Let me mm -hmm. start getting my feet wet in video. And I remember you, you had said to me at one point, it was like, yo, it looks like you're not really pushing, you're not really pushing, you know, past your comfort zone. I'm like, mm, you know, he's right. I need to, I need to do I, a little more here. I told you that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was something with one of my projects, and oh, you, were, wow. you were spot on, though. You were spot on. And I'm like, you know what? His brother's right. <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah, so, I appreciate that. So a little backstory is that Keith and I met at the International Center of Photography, and we were both taking uh, like a documentary, like an intro to documentary video course. And I was interested in getting into like documentary filmmaking, and I know you wanted to, um, if I remember, you wanted to um, do more, include more 
uh, behind the scenes footage on some of the sets and some of the... Yeah, um, that was my project was behind the scenes. But ideally, what I wanted to be able to do was direct beauty commercials. I directed my first commercial last year. Congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I, I need to do more. But that was... that's Yeah, my project was definitely behind the scenes things. But I really, really, really want to be able to direct, you know, cosmetic commercials and, and, and the like. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it sounds like um, you took that class and... and, and you started to apply a lot of the um, the learnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't playing. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been able to do a couple of music videos, um, a couple of personal projects, and it's still. I still feel like I'm growing in that space, but I certainly have taken that knowledge. Um, I took a second class at ICP and in video, and I've just, you know, I still do it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, that was the context. That's how we met, and. Um, yeah, and, and I started to follow the brother's work and was just like, wow, this dude has a uh, an amazing command of, of lighting, of artificial lighting in the studios. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so how did you, why did you, like, focus on, uh, you know, portraits, beauty portraits and fashion? Like, how did you get into that, into that lane? You know, it, it kind of just happened. I remember in high school, I photographed, assignments we had like these view cameras and these strobe lights and we'd work it out and my better photographs just were portraits of of people particularly the pretty girls in class mm -hmm. but um and i remember the professor saying we've got a portrait man here but i still didn't quite get it you know and i always photographed a bunch of different things um you know my portraits were always strong but then i might photograph um, objects and do sort of like that I guess I don't even know what to call it. There was a, a certain kind of abstract expressionism in photography where you take, you kind of like take found objects and turn them into graphic, you know, images. I was doing that sort of thing. Um, but what led me to fashion and beauty was actually uh, kind of um, kind of like actually uh, a competitive nature. I, I I met a brother. We're still great friends. Um, but we were very sort of like friend and co uh, competitors. Mm -hmm. And I remember he would give me a hard time about my approach to things. And he would challenge me. And he he was specific. He's like, I want to do fashion and beauty. And he was getting on my nerves so much. I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to do what you like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you at it. <laughs> 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 you know, but that that helps me find direction. Because uh, before it was just sort of like I liked everything and I was just all over the place. Mm -hmm. But when I started finding that direction, it just started to make sense. And so when I got out of college, I I um, assisted a photographer, a brother named Anthony Barboza. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, Kamonge, right? Yep. Yep. And so I was introduced to all of all of that, you know, and uh, it just started from there. And then. And then I would just shoot evenings and weekends. And you know what's the weird thing is, I, I say this to a lot of people, uh, for me and for many people, not, 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 not everybody needs to do this because some people have a thing where they know how to make it happen because they're that brilliant creatively. But for me, I needed to uh, assist. Um, I needed to see how professional works. I needed to see... Um, you know, how to handle myself on set and how it's done. 
And uh, I swear, it, it seems like I learned more in four weeks than four years of college when I was working for a commercial photographer. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest thing was I remember I had di- gotten a job in late June and I'd been working and working and I didn't pick up the camera for my own thing until maybe August. Some young model had come through and she'd asked me to do a test or whatever and I went out and did the test with her. And when I got the slide film back, I was blown away because it's as if my work leapfrogged forward. Like mm-hmm. everything that I had learned just being around this guy had seeped into my, you it was, know, it was like it was, it was incubating, right? You don't even, yeah, you don't exactly. even have a chance to use it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I got all these superpowers that I, yeah, when I dormant. used it, it was like, yeah. wow, yeah, you know, so much so that I remember running into cats that I went to high school with, um, you know, and one of the guys, Kent, was always the strongest photographer. He was brilliant. Like when we were in high school, he was, he was churning out work that was, um, you know, A-list work. And I think I was still learning, really, when I think of my work compared to his. And, um, you know, he was looking at the stuff and he goes, wow, you know, you, you got better. <laughs> you know, and coming out of his mouth meant a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I would say to anybody, you know, apprenticing is, you know, as much as I find the younger generation kind of turns their nose up at apprenticing, there's some real gems in there. And you don't only... You only have to hang around for a little while. Like I only I only assisted one guy for one year, you know, and that made all the difference in the world um, for me. And so it reminds me of a conversation I was having with a, uh, this young sister at a party. She's very brilliant. We're talking. She's very bright. And she said she wanted to, you know, she wanted to do catering. She wanted to serve food. And I'm like, well, have you ever done it before? She's like, no. And I'm like, she's like, I don't know where to start. And I'm like, all you have to do is work for a caterer for a year. You'll figure it all out. Mm-hmm. You know, not only, because what happens is not only do you learn what to do, you'll see their mistakes and you'll you'll learn what not to do on their time. Yeah. You know, it's also it's it's a uh, it's in the spirit of paying our dues and, yes. and, and being humble. And one thing I learned about internships is that when you get the right internship, right, with a company who actually really cares about the interns and wants to make sure like. Oh, yeah, um, there's that. Yeah. Right. When they they want to make sure that the intern is learning something uh, of value that they can actually use in the in the industry, um, mm-hmm. I realize that the interns who get hired are the ones who work really hard at the at the the bottom, the lowest point of the entry, um, not because they feel like this is going to lead to a job, but because they actually are interested in learning as much as they can and they enjoy what they're doing. Exactly. When you do it just for a job, right? Yes, that should be part of it, right? But you should really do be doing it because you love it and you want to soak up as much knowledge and experience as possible. And when you do yeah. it that way, you are going to learn at like very rapid pace when it feels like you just got all these superpowers, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I follow that model even when I'm hiring assistants. I, I tend to, I don't like working with assistants that, I had one of my clients laughing the other day and he actually hired one of my assistants to do um, a smaller project. But I said, you know, I don't, I, I want to hire people that want my job. You know, I don't, it's like, because otherwise it's just a waste of time. Like you say, you want you know, to hire people who want your job. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cause I want you to have that passion and that mm-hmm. enthusiasm because I know I'm going to get the best out of you. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think it's also and like, it has, over these years it's worked like, and w- unfortunately what happens is, you end up losing the good people because they go on to 
bigger and better things. But it's just so much more rewarding to work with them and to see them grow. And also, you know, there's a relationship where there's a give and take. So I'm learning from them as much as they're learning from me. And also, I know that they want to be there. Yeah. And what I was going to say, I I agree with you 100%. Like, you know, you want somebody who is so hungry that they don't stay with you. And that means that you've done a good job as a mentor, as a leader, as a teacher, when they leave. Because they've learned enough from you to have the confidence to go on and do their own thing. Exactly. Um, And they also have to learn how to play their role. Like, even though they're hungry and they want your job, they can't approach a a client while you're... If it's your client, they they still have to play their role. Right. You know, like, they still have to uh, defer to you. you Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And... And and fortunately, that's been that's always been the case for me. In most cases, it's been it's been a good ride, you know. And and over the years, it's been it's been nice to be able to mentor people um, more so more recently than you know because I would say the last five to ten years I've been more mentor than before because I'm just older, you know. So yeah. it just kind of happens organically, you know. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. And you mentioned now that you mentioned that you're teaching. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine started the arts in the school that he was working at. And so I'm doing photo one. There's actually a photo two class. Uh, there's video there, um, violin, dance. I believe there's even a yoga class and there's even a makeup class. Um, but yeah, I'm teaching and I like being able to give back, um, I also like being in that space for the for, for the students that are interested in, you know, pursuing a career in the arts, you know, just to be able to teach what I've learned over the years. And because I think one of the most important things for me is to impart on them that, you know, like, look, like, if you're really into this from now on, what I would like to impart to you is, you know, pay attention to all media and look at it all critically, you know, mm-hmm. you know, have an eye for what's happening with the lighting, you know, what's happening with the music, what's happening with the flow and the edit and, and the concepts and the whys, you know, I would want you guys to be able to try to dissect what you're looking at. Don't just sit back and be entertained, you know, yeah, you try know. to dissect it, try to dissect it and pull it apart because people are doing this. This isn't, super magic you know that yeah. you can't touch you know you can do this too yeah and um so with that i, w- I just want to piggyback off of that a little bit like yeah pick apart you know the work and in, in a way where you it's almost like you're reverse engineering to to figure out how that photographer or that artist made the image right yeah but then also i would add think about the context in which certain cer- in which certain images are used Right, especially mm-hmm. within social media. I remember last year, 
when everything was happening with, um, you know, I don't know if you follow sports, but anybody who follows sports, um, there's a Ooh. basketball player, Ben Simmons, for the, oh, he plays man, for the yeah. Philadelphia 76ers. Ooh, yeah. And, you know, he decided to not, you know, play. And yeah, just looking at how the about. media was, was is spinning things, right, that was, you know, I was looking at how certain images or certain photographs of this player were being used based on the headline. And, you know, and then I started looking at how all these different artists or, or entertainers, like the type of images that are being used to go with a headline. And it's it's like, uh, it could be an image that was taken five years ago, but if the if it's a, a negative headline, they're going to use an image of the person, uh, you know, grimacing or looking yeah. angry and or yeah. aggressive. But then if it's like a good article, they're going to find an image of the person smiling. It seems like yeah. it's common sense, right? But there are people who are making these very intentional decisions when pairing images with certain stories. And it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's all a lie, but it's just a way that people can manipulate what, how they want you to think, you know, based yeah. on how they use the images. It's definitely a story. You know, and I try to tell them, you know, that that part, too, because also because we're in a time where it's obviously a critical time where we find that, you know, when this term fake news was coined, we're in a time where, unfortunately, we may need to have people educated on media literacy because Mm -hmm. there are people you know you and i can look at something and dissect it like you can look at all that harsh imagery at ben simmons and know that it's somebody's choice to spin the story a certain way yeah but i've found that there are people that really don't get that and and for some reason the things on the screen they take as truth Mm -hmm. because they don't know, they don't seem to understand that this is a story being put together by someone. Yeah. You know, that it's something crafted. They think it's just a regurgitation of the truth. And so I think that's why we have the disconnect where you have, you know, not to get crazy political, but you have right-wing people believe in one thing and left-wing people believe in the other mm-hmm. because they're, everyone's getting a different version of a story uh, neither side may be giving you the truth. It's just a story. Yeah. And that's part of what I want the students to know too, to be able to dissect things. Cause it's sort of like, I don't want you to be led like sheep and not understand how this happens. It's funny because years ago, uh, this, that same, that same relationship I was talking about where they try to talk me out of a career. It was really bizarre. I, I, um, I went to a concert with, with, uh, with the girl and, you know, we had a run DMC concert. And there's a, and so we're at, you know, at the, at the forum in the garden. And then there's a, there's a step and repeat. At least I knew it was a step and repeat. It was like a neon sign that had a DJ's hand scratch back. And so it would be like red, mm-hmm. like scratch right, and then blue scratch left. And it was going back and forth. So my girl goes, look, they got a close up of the DJ's hand. <laughs> and so my first thought was like, wow, like, and how many people in this place really think that? <laughs> so then I said to her, no, no, baby, that's not. I'm like, that's that's just a, we call that a step and repeat. You know, that's just a sign that's like got some graphics to look like a DJ's hand. But it's really just a series of lights. And she says to me, how do you know? And I'm just like, wow, like. <laughs> this and, is what I do. So, <laughs> yeah. But that illuminated things for me because 
you know, fast forward to like maybe around, I don't know, 2017, a friend of mine, I should say a, 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 a colleague or an associate, somebody I used to work at the studio was going off on a tangent on Facebook about some quote-unquote black professor who was supposed to be teaching racism and yelling at the white students or whatever. And But it was completely fake. And so I wrote to the cat and I kind of pointed out point by point all of the things and the visuals that he should question. You know, and I'm like, you know, why, who is this random person telling the story? It's the 21st century. Why is it that you're hearing a voice but you're not seeing a face? And he ended up taking the post down and, you know, turning around. But it was sort of like I realized that, you know, with with if you don't have the media literacy, you can get fooled. Absolutely. And people are and people are being fooled and people are being fooled. And mm -hmm. it's so much so that it's almost like, wow, it's almost like this ought to be a standard at some level elementary school teaching of media literacy. You know, we need to. They need to bring people behind the curtain. You know, you need to see, you need to see that guy like in the Wizard of Oz. Don't pay attention to the man behind mm, the curtain. You know, you exactly. need to see that cat and know that you know he's engineering a story. So then you can make you know choices, you know, accordingly. I'm it's happy important. to hear you. I'm happy to hear you say that because that's, you know, it's something that I've I've been saying for a while. But I think you've actually you evolved what uh what I was thinking is that um photography should be uh. It should be a, a a course in school at every level, and I think it's because yes. photography teaches people how to observe their world, observe their surroundings. Yes, there's the technical part of actually learning the camera and learning the the machinery, but in addition to that, just the layer of understanding how to see the world, how to look at people's uh, interactions. When you look like if for photojournalists, yeah. we're looking at you know, snapping the shutter at the right time. And if you're right. photographing like a group of people, what's happening with them? Are they in a good mood? Are they laughing? Are they friends? Or are they, does it look like it's tension and they're about to throw down, right? Like we right. should be able to look at our surroundings even without a camera and know what's happening. You mm -hmm. know, so I think like photography, but, but what you're saying, um, media literacy takes it even beyond just the image. And I think that's, I mean... We're at an age where we're still learning how to use, how to live with uh, devices attached to our hips. Yeah, so we need to understand like everything that's happening in we all do. this media that that's that's being forced down our our, our throat. Yeah, because what it used to be, it used to be to be able to write and tell a story. You had to jump through so many hoops and be vetted. So, in other words, if you were going to be a journalist, you know, you had to have some credentials and someone had to allow you to make that happen or you had to be a revolutionary and write your own paper but that took a lot of work mm -hmm. you know to write your own papers and hand out pamphlets you know and now our technology has given everybody a voice fairly easily and not everybody's qualified to deliver a message you know but they all have it at their fingertips and so we've got to revisit how we're doing that so when I'm teaching photo one, I'm also teaching that. Like I, I'll show them stuff and, and question that and, and always, and I start to point to different jobs in the profession, you know, so that they understand that somebody art directed this and somebody made a choice about this and somebody wrote copy and, 
Um, just all the, I try to include as many things as possible just so that they begin to see media and look at it critically, you know, just dissect it and, and know that this is a story that someone's telling it may or may not be the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, just a, you know, another person's story. So, you know, I have, I have a seven year old son and we watch movies together and he sees me on a computer all the time, whether I'm like doing an illustration or I'm editing photos or video or something. He always sees me creating something on the computer. So when we watch movies, you know, I tell him about like cer certain scenes that are like CGI, like graphics, mm -hmm. and that it's not, it wasn't real. It's like this person wasn't flying through space. The way that they right. did it was like, they, there's a green screen, and so I'm giving them like the the behind the scenes jewels of how right. these things are made. Exactly, and, and he's so sharp, you know. Um, speaking as a proud father, he's so sharp that you know he's looking at these images, and he turned to me. He's like, "Man, that's such bad CGI. Look, you see the thing around the 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 halo around <laughs> his go around yeah, him. Yeah. He, yeah, he's pointing it out, and I'm like, wow. right. and I'm looking at him like that's pretty good CGI, but the fact that you could see it and know instantly that it's CGI, I'm like, all right, cool. So now I'm starting to break down like all the different components of making a movie or making a TV show, like a, a cartoon. I'm like, those the cartoons are talking, but there are actors doing the voice behind it. There's right. somebody who's animating it. There's somebody who's writing the story. Yeah. And, and it's it, you yeah. Got, I'm glad you're teaching them that because, and I think more people need that. It's funny because I had, I must be choosing, I must be, I got to, maybe I need a course in how to choose a mate because I, I had a different <laughs> girlfriend once. <laughs> yeah, I had a girlfriend once, man, and I had this, this friend of mine who's an excellent drafts person, right? And he was expecting his first son. So, you know, Rance is dope. So Rance paints the, Rance paints the room in the Lion King motif, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's that dude. Oh, wow. So, you know, I show I show my girl at the time, I'm like, look, look what Rance did. He uh, he painted this, you know. And she goes, Wow, where did you find that wallpaper? I'm like, No, no, no. He he painted this. <laughs> he painted it straight from his hand. And she goes, No, he can't, nobody did that. And I said to her, Well, wait a minute, wait, wait. I'm like, You do realize that those that the Lion King is drawings, right? Like or or do you think there's an imaginary world somewhere where <laughs> these things live like peep. There are people who can draw like this, yes. <laughs> you know? but again, what I did realize is there's a level of beta literacy that, you know, your son has it cause you're teaching him, but probably 90% of his class is on the other side of that. Yeah. You know, and I think it's important to know that even when we're driving down the street and, and we see things outside, I'm like, look, Look, Pop, somebody painted that mural on the outside or at this stop yeah. sign, there's somebody who created this stop sign and they thought the color red was was a powerful color that's gonna get people to pay attention. Right? right. I'm like, look at everything around you and some somebody is responsible for everything you see around us. Exactly. So think about things that interest you and what you might be able to do with that, you know? Right, right. And, you know, this, a lot of what you said is is part of my, my photo class, too, because I don't expect all. In fact, I tell them I don't expect all of you to be photographers. I said, in fact, given that this is 2021, I would like for this to just be part of your toolkit. I'd like you to do more than just this. 
I remember I photographed I photographed um a woman, uh Marilyn Bevins. She mm-hmm. was one of the first, I think she's the first African American female marathoner to go under four hours or three hours. Uh-huh. I forget I forget the exact stat, but she's one she's up there as an athlete. And she's old she's older. Mm-hmm. And um when I was photographing her, she asked me about my son. And she said, does your son know how to do that right there? I said, do what? She was like, take pictures. Like, use that camera. I said, no, he's not old enough. She was like, well, listen, he should know how to do what you do. And he should know what his mom does as well. He doesn't have to be a professional at these things, but he should know how to do the things that we do. And, you know, that has me thinking that, you know, especially when it comes to photography, there's, if you mix, if you combine photography with another skill or another hobby, another interest, then you start to, that's how you really start to create your own voice, your own form of expression, right? Because it's based on an interest that that you have, and but then you're also bringing this skill into it. And that's, where, that's how you start seeing food photography and, you know, um, in bug photography, right? Like exactly. All these, you know, people dropping... Uh, oil and food coloring into water and photographing that it's like it's it's all abstract type stuff but these are people who have other interests and then mm-hmm. have a skill with photography and you break when you bring that together you start to really create a, a unique voice so it's like i definitely want him to understand how to use a camera as a form of expression and if he decides to become a professional cool he always have my support but if he wants to use photography to accentuate another uh, aspect of his you know of his life he'll be a little bit, he'll have a, a couple steps ahead of, of other people yeah. who don't have that skill. Yeah, it sounds like he's, it sounds like he's a junior filmmaker. Yeah, he wants to be in, in he wants to be an actor. I said, Oh, right, right, I said, right. Oh, I said, that's cool. I said, you know what, Pop, there's also people who write the movies, there's a writer, and, and he said, no. And he, you know when you see um somebody write something out and it's like, one word, period, then another word, period. He was like, no, uh-huh. this is how he told me. He said, I want to be an actor. And I was like, okay, I, I get it. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not going to mention <laughs> writing or anything else. Like, <laughs> right. All right, cool. Let's figure out this acting thing. But so. you know what? What I found is, is I can think of in particular one of the most recent actors I photog- actresses I photographed, um, Tessa Thompson. She has a production company. You know, mm. you could tell on set she's real bright. Um, she kind of, she kind of did the shorthand math on what I was doing when we talked about what I was shooting and why she fell right in and just made it sing. I think, I think for your son, you know, having that media literacy is kind of necessary for the, the better actors have that. Yeah. They know what's going on on set. So yeah. he's going to be one of those cats where it's just like, you know, and he may do more because you see so many of them being part of the production, you know, he'll, he'll be that guy. And you know, and it makes a difference. It does, and I think one, if he wants to go in a similar path of where I'm at, then he has me as a as a resource. Um, exactly. You know, any any gear that's around, he has access to. He has access to it, all the experience and contacts and resources that that I've accumulated over the years. So he'll be like several steps ahead if that's what he wants to do. Um, he'll have that support, you know. Um, but I think also just being able to see, 
see people yeah. that look like us doing this, he's not going to understand a world where he where he never saw someone who looks like him doing these things. You know what I mean? Right, right. They say it's, it's hard to be it if you can't see it. That's true. And, um, I, you know, I can think of my own daughter now who um, she and her husband have a business together and... And um, she was never fearless about working for herself. And a lot of that was because she saw me working. And uh, I didn't realize how much she was taking in um, until once I went to a, a panel discussion she was at with some young black entrepreneurs. And they asked her, well, how did you, how did you find the, the, the courage to do that? And she's like, well, you know. I just watched my dad and, mm. and one of the things my dad would say, cause, cause she, I remember her asking me like, she'd say, daddy, why, why are you getting up early? You know, you don't have a shoot today. Like she might, you know, when I lived in this, I used to have a live work studio for about 10 years and it was during her teenage formative years. So she would come spend time with me, you know, hang out in the city and her friends would crash at my place. But, uh, Anyway, she'd be in the crib and she'd, I'd get up at like six in the morning on a Wednesday and she's like, why are you getting up so early? You don't have a shoot today. And I'm like, I, I always have to work. Like Yo. there's work to do when I'm not shooting. And she saw that and it registered. And so, you know, she regurgitated that in this panel discussion. I was like, wow, I didn't really pay attention to all of that. Yeah. Yo. But, you know, they see you doing that and it really makes a difference, you know. Yo, because as parents, we're their first, we're their first mentors, you know, their first example. And so, and the biggest example, because you're also providing for them, you're making the home safe for them. So, Yo, I'm you're glad the closest you thing say to that, a God. Man. Yeah, because <laughs> my, my wife always asks, like, do you have work? She asked me, do I have work to do? And I'm like, I always have work to do. Like, yeah, it's, I it's would never, I would it's never, I'm never bored because there's always something to do. Yeah, it's it. The challenge for us is is Not turning it off, exactly. Doing it and you know paying attention to the other things in life. Exactly. Like I'm here recording and I'm hearing my family upstairs. You know, um, hearing my 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 son like making a mess and doing all types of crazy stuff <laughs> that I know I'm gonna have to go clean up as soon as I get up there. But you right. know, but they he knows that I'm recording and he he doesn't know exactly what it means, but he 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 will grow up seeing me work in the house yes and, and seeing me work outside of the house and he will be on set with me he has been on yeah. set with me and that that translates know? and no matter what it is they do because you know she became she and her husband are have like food business but they do real well and in fact she's a tiktok she's she's making all this money on tiktok which she's able to do that because of a variety of things she watch movies with with me mm -hmm. you know like your like your kid and she, I would have to say she was more advanced than me. I remember her being able to discern good acting from bad. Mm -hmm. Remember all the names of the characters. Um, she would bristle at stories that she thought were like poorly put together. It was the craziest thing. Like, like by nine years old, I'm like, Jesus, who yeah. is this kid? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, and, but uh, yeah, what you expose them to, and anybody listening to this, this, this cast, it's like, those things are key. Um, you don't necessarily have to turn out to be what I am or what you are, but you know there are key components to media that are certainly going to make you and those around you more aware and and better off for it. Absolutely. You know, if you pay attention to those things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
I just wanted to touch on um, the yeah, role at Ebony Magazine. Like, you went from being, like, a serial freelancer to, you know, um, going, going full-time or going staff for Ebony Magazine. Like, tell us what about this role and what that means for you and, and also what that means for the black community. Wow, yeah. You know, it's funny because it's so new for me that I'm still growing into it. But what it means for me first is uh, to be part of a legacy brand that, has been responsible for bringing positive black imagery, you know, telling our stories in our voice um, in a positive way. And even if it's negative, it's just at least it's the the closest thing to our truth as opposed to someone who's not in our community telling our story. Absolutely. Um, and so I've been part of that long legacy of uh, great imagery and great storytelling about our people. Um, so that's really important, and there's a big responsibility where that's concerned. Um, it's really interesting because there have been a couple of times where I've had to be director more than photographer, and uh, I found that I, I wore that hat well in terms of being able to step back and give support to the photographer who was executing, you know, our vision. And I was able to actually, you know, still uh, contribute. Um, which I didn't know I'd be able to do, you know, in a directorial space. So that's been good. Um, there are some new things, new parts of it for me in terms of, you know, having meetings with, uh, with the rest of the staff and the corporate heads uh, is something new for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's been a, a growing process. Or having to find photographers and or videographers for events and situations around the country. Um, so far, we haven't had to do anything internationally, but I've had to find folks in other states to, you know, perform assignments for different departments. And, and so it's been interesting. And But I, I started in June, so it's still new. And as much as Ebony is a legacy brand, it was in financial trouble and dire straits, and it was bought out by the Bridgman family, a black family in um, Louisville, Kentucky area. And so we're really operating as a startup. We have access mm -hmm. to the archives. We have access to the legacy, but the entire staff is brand new. And right now we're online. We, we're about to put out a special edition print issue, but um, that was sponsored by Oil, Oil of Olay on uh, the theme of the issue is a, a STEM queens, so it would be science, mm -hmm. technology, you know, engineering, engineering math, math yeah. mm -hmm, at HBCUs. Oh. Um, so we photographed about 10 of them. Um, they're on the cover, and then we tell their stories on the inside and have individual portraits of each one. And uh, these young sisters are really brilliant. And so that's been amazing, too, because the cachet of Ebony has allowed me to uh, – meet even more dignitaries and celebrities and interesting people like these young sisters at the HBCU. Um, so that's to, been a... Yeah, it sounds like you get to tell um, broader stories as well. Yes, definitely. I get to do more than I was doing as a freelancer. Yeah, that's great. Um, and and um, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a style of... Not style, there's um, a form of creativity that although you may not be the one behind the camera, you're not the active photographer, you still have influence on who photographs which story or which assignment, yeah. which is still a reflection or an extension of 
exactly. your, you know, your vision. Exactly. And so, you know, a couple of times where I didn't uh, have the camera in my hand, I was part of the concepts, the conceptual part of it, finding the location, you know, um, being able to discuss the possibilities with the photographer of what can happen in the space. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the more interesting, uh, one vignette, uh, one way to describe the story and how it can happen is we were on set um, shooting Nas for one cover, and I was directing it at that point. I wasn't shooting it, but uh, one of the young videographers was shooting with the uh, uh, Super 8. Was it Super 8 or 16 millimeter? I think he was shooting 16. I think he was shooting 16 millimeter. Um, but anyway, he was shooting film camera. And I see him shooting it, and I'm like, uh, you know, we're online. And and I go, wow, you're shooting with that. Uh, you know, what are your plans for it? And he goes, oh, you know, I, was, I just do it for myself. I'm like, no, nah, man. I'm like, we need that footage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> we want to use that too. Can you convert it? Yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, it's this, that, and the other. It costs this much or whatever. And in the end, we ended up, that ended up being the... The cover. The meat of the video that we produced because... It was sort of like the aesthetic of that, uh, you know, film camera, that Super 8 look ended up, ended up being the template for how that entire video flowed. And so if I'd never spoke up, we wouldn't have had that art. And that's, again, going back to the vision, right? Like, Right. That's great. That's great. So you're already there um, getting comfortable, you know, um, inserting your vision into into uh, the projects without having to be the the photographer. You know, it sounds like a a, a good transition. It is. I mean, you know, and I think for me, it's, I love young photography. I like seeing things that I've never seen before um, and seeing things done differently than the way I've done them or how they've been done in the past. And so I'm always excited to see, you know, what the new folks are doing. And we have a lot of great, great, great young black photographers out here doing amazing work. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely carrying the torch, you know, and, and elevating it. Yeah. Um, as it should be. So. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're so out there. We're so out there. So it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, if you don't know that there's black photographers doing dope shit, man, your eyes are closed. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. And particularly with the photography. I mean, I might give you a pass in music, although I feel the same way. It's like, because when I hear older heads say it's not the same whatever i'm like no i'm like what's happening is we don't have the radio feeding it to us Mm -hmm. but these kids are out here throwing down some serious music you just have to look for it now it's not it's not being spoon-fed but let me tell you the you know the black kids out here are carrying a torch in in music as well you know there's a lot of good music out there you just got to find it yeah absolutely so one thing um, I was just, you know, before we wrap up, you know, um, you've been in the game for quite a bit, man. So um, knowing yeah. what you know now, you know, um, with all the celebrities you photographed, all the experience you've had, um, you know, photo director at Ebony, like you're in a, it sounds like you're in a really interesting place creatively and career wise. All of that, take all that information. What would you tell the high school version of Keith? Like what that who just picked up a camera and was really interested. What what kind of um jewels would you drop on that that version of Wow? Yourself? I tell him keep going, don't stop. I tell him you might wanna 
lean a little harder in the technical side of things. Uh, and, you, and you do that, but you can do it a bit more. I'd also tell him you got to do a little more motion picture. Yeah. <laughs> I tell him that, I, you know, that's, that's the one part of the equation that I, that I still am thirsty for a bit more. But for the most part, I tell him that, you know, you're, you're on the right path and it's going to work out. This is Keith Major, and you are tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.